Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. So I, I brought in some object lessons here. I got, so uh, what is this? You see that? It's hard to see. Or how about how about this? Rock? No. Pine cone. You know, it's kind of hard because maybe we need a, like a zoom in kind of feature. A pine cone from my driveway and some acorns, um, and then I got some other seeds from my garden. I think it's uh, coriander or. Um, Cilantro seeds, you know, I think that that's what cilantro seeds turn into coriander or, or cumin or something like that. Um, Jesus said this uh, to the, something to this effect, unless a grain of, so a seed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. The seed will travel through gravity, an animal grabs it, a person grabs it, they throw it on the ground, it's buried and it sprouts over time and itself gives life. It becomes a tree. Jesus used this saying to talk about a process that he is enduring and the process of discipleship. I I thought another way to say this is through death, one finds life. And so that would kind of be a, a theme that we'll see throughout this passage that we'll be looking at. Through death, one finds life. Jesus is going to show us this in various ways. He states this about himself personally. And his star disciple is going to reject it. Jesus said, he is, why is he rejecting it? He is man-centered, not God-centered. His apprentice, Peter, didn't understand that through death we find life. One finds life. Um, this passage um, and our time this morning can help us see what Peter did not. So if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew chapter 16. We're, we're working through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, verse 21. And Taylor, you want to come up here? And Lori, you want to come up here and read for us. And we, we've been doing this. If you, want, if you want to stand in honor of God's word, they're going to read here for us. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This should never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. 
Thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you that the words of my mouth, the thoughts of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Fix our gaze on you. Set our minds on you. Open our eyes to your heavenly kingdom and help us follow you where you lead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Jesus is the king God promised. He came to save his people from their sin. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. His people and his kingdom are not what people are expecting. His people were and are those who hear his words and do them. His kingdom was and is a heavenly one, a spiritual one. It's here right now in part, but it will be in full in the time to come, in the age to come. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day hate him. They oppose him and his kingdom. The crowds, they flock to him. The disciples follow him. They follow him for three days or three years, day and night, absorbing his teaching and watching his ministry and, and trying to learn what he's about. Last week, we read how, or two weeks ago, we read how religious leaders, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem, someone from Jerusalem, to test him, to try him. They wanted what? Do you remember? They wanted a sign. And so he said, I'm going to give you one. What was it? The sign of Jonah. And if you remember to Jonah, he was a prophet who rebelled against God, but he, he got swallowed up by a big fish for three days. Jesus makes this connection in chapter 12, I believe it is, that just as Jonah was in the ground buried for three days, or in the water in this case, so, and then he came back to life, or he came to land, so will the Son of Man. He, God saved Jonah and proclaimed, and Jonah went to proclaim a message of repentance for salvation to those who are far off. After the, that encounter with these Sadducees and Pharisees, Jesus leaves Galilee. He goes north to Caesarea Philippi, about 35 miles with his disciples. There, Jesus asks his disciples a question. So the, he was tested in Galilee, and now he's testing his disciples. Who do, you, who do people say that I am was the first question they asked. And they give out their answer. Well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah or a prophet. Who do you say that I am? Question number two. And who pipes up? Peter. Peter, the spokesperson, pipes up. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he is exactly right, and Jesus praises him. He said, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon bar Jonah, you are Peter, and upon this rock I build my church, and you, get the keys of, you have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound on earth. What we loosed, you know, will be loosed. He had a message that gave access, people access to God, and that if rejected, denied it. And in our passage, it's an ironic twist. We read that Peter wasn't perfect. God uses normal people, including Peter. And he's actually called a different kind of rock. 
These verses, if, you, if we look for the structure of these verses, Matthew, what he's, he, he kind of breaks them into two different structures or two different sections. Section 1, verses 21 through 23, and section 2, 6, 24 through 28. Jesus reveals his death and resurrection. This is the first time he's showing what's going to happen. He's going to Jerusalem with a purpose. And then Jesus revealed his disciples' direction. What's the direction of discipleship? He told his disciples that he's going to suffer, die, and rise as he heads to Jerusalem. Peter rebukes him for this pronouncement, and Jesus rebukes him back. Jesus turns to all the disciples and said to those who wanted to save their life, they're going to lose it, and vice versa. So again, the big theme, through death, we find life. I think we see here, through death, we find life. One finds life. Jesus is on a mission, and it involves death and life and challenges us to join him. The author Matthew uh, listens to Jesus. He's following Jesus for three years, and he applies what he's writing here and preaching here to his own life, and he follows Jesus to death. Tradition says he, he traveled to Ethiopia, to Ethiopia where he is, he is communicating the truth about who God is. And the call to repent of sin and turn from self, turn to God. And he stands up against uh, some authority, some princely, kingly authority. And he gives his life as someone runs him through with a spear or sword at church. Matthew lived what he taught. As the other disciples, Thomas was speared to death. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Judas, not Iscariot, and Matthias were all stoned for their faith. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, and Simon were all crucified. That's not Peter Simon. This is the other Simon. And Peter, what happened to him? Tradition states he was crucified, but upside down because he didn't feel like he, was, he could be you know, crucified like Jesus. Through death, they entered eternal life. I read last night, you know, we all die. It doesn't matter how we die. It matters how we live, one author said. They died for their faith. And they were not the only ones. They were not the last ones. During the previous 2,000 years, an estimated 70 million Christians have lost their lives following Jesus, communicating the love of God, and, and, and the love of brother and sister. Today, brothers and sisters in the Lord face the threat of death worldwide. There's a, a website named Open Doors, and they said in 2022, 5,621 people lost their lives for their faith. To get perspective on what that's like, that means that, that, that today, 15 people will die for their faith convictions. And if this, let that sink in. They said this on their website, persecution of Christians has continued to intensify globally, reaching the highest levels. More than 360 million Christians face high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. This represents one in seven Christians worldwide. One in seven. The numbers are a little lopsided because I don't think we experience this, per se. 
But other parts of the country, this is what they experience day in and day out. This is their reality. When they say, I am going to follow Jesus. I am going to be a, a baptized follower of Jesus. I am going to go to church on Sunday. They risk the loss of a job, the, the excommunication out of a family or a community, or the loss of life. Now, does that mean that when Jesus says, unless one takes up his cross and follows me, you cannot be my disciple, or the stuff we're talking about here where he's going to start challenging his disciples about sacrificing their, their lives to follow him and, and a life of self-denial, does that mean that it doesn't really relate to us since we live in a life of pretty much we can express our faith without reprisal? No, this is incredibly important for us. You and I have daily opportunities to die to ourselves and live for Jesus. It's just we aren't facing the persecution that our brothers and sisters have faced and are facing. Jesus has a broader meaning for us, and Matthew has a broader intent for us this morning that this is relevant, this is important. Let's zoom in. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, and we're going to work through the verses here. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll have them up right here. So this is verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is a a turning point of of sorts in the book of Matthew. This is a a, a new tidbit of information that, you know, the reader would know generally, but here he sees it. And for the people who are experiencing it, this is new information. He's going to say this three other times. In Matthew, he'll say it in chapter 17 and 20 and 26. He repeats what's critical. This is important. This is central. Jesus was born to die, to rise. Now, how did the the disciples hear this? What's going on in their mind when they see this? This is not what they're thinking. And why do I say that? Well, a couple reasons. In in another biographical account, you might recall two of his followers, James and John. Their mom's like, hey, you should really try to get something from Jesus here. Get him to agree that you could be sitting on the, his right hand and left, left hand when he comes into his kingdom. And so they're arguing about this, and Jesus catches them and talks. You know, and the other disciples are getting upset at them because they believe he is going to be like another king or provincial ruler, and he's going to have a right-hand man and a left-hand man, and they want to be it. They're thinking this is physical, temporal, right now. This is the rise of, of, a, of a new era, a power, a political identity. And they want to be part of it. Why, this, this is why I think this is what he's saying here is shocking them. In Acts chapter 1, I think it's verse 6, Jesus is ri- risen from the dead. He conquered death. And th- their question to him is, is at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They're thinking this is a political movement. And Jesus is, is shattering their world with this concept of an unjust death suffering. And and why do I think this? Well, look at verse 22. Look at Peter's reaction because he doesn't get it right. 
He gets it wrong, dead wrong. Verse 22, and Peter took him aside, Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him. Imagine rebuking Jesus, you know? Maybe you, you, you have, like, there's certain people in life you do not rebuke. He thought he could just, like, let me I'm just tell you, you know, Jesus something. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter didn't want Jesus to suffer. Now, that doesn't sound bad. Who would want that? Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they certainly want that. They don't like him. They hate him. They want him dead. Now, and the brutality he's going to face, it is like the worst atrocity in all of human history. This is evil. He's a perfect God-man. And he's saying that he is going to be beaten and crucified or suffer to death. But this was part of the plan. God sovereignly ordained this plan. And Peter's saying, no, no, no. If he didn't die, we couldn't live. Through death, one finds life. Notice Peter's response back in verse 23. Look at verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So there's some irony here. What did he call him previously in chapter 16? Do you remember? The rock. It's kind of like rocky. He's the foundation. And now what is he? Hindrance is the word scandalon. It's a stumbling block. It's a tripping hazard. He is a stone of offense. He is a barrier to Jesus on his mission to save his people from their sin. What else does he call him? Satan. Whoa! Peter is not perfect. Jesus is. What's Peter's problem? What's his big deal? We'll look at verse 23 again. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance for me. Why? For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter was not remembering Psalm 22, which predicts the suffering servant and suffering Messiah. He's not remembering Isaiah 53. Nor were the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. He's forgetting the sign of Jonah. Now, I got to say, that sign of Jonah thing, I probably would have not understood it either. It's a, it's, it's a little confusing if you're looking that side of, through history. This interaction, that, this rebuke to Peter is similar to how Jesus rebukes Satan in Matthew chapter 4. You know, Jesus, Matthew, Satan goes to Jesus and says, I'm going to give you the whole world. Just bow down and worship me. The whole world's yours. Just bow down and worship me. And Jesus rebukes him. He came to earth. Why? Because he came to earth to lose his life, to gain the souls of all who repent. All who repent and believe. It was the plan before the foundation of the world. He explained Peter's problem is it with his focus. His focus was a man-centered focus, not a God-centered one. What did that mean? Well, it brings us to our second scene. In answer to our question, look at verse 24. So he goes to talking to Peter and kind of this rebuke. Now he's going to talk to all the guys. He's got 12 guys who are following him. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. Why? For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He said something like this before, if you've been following along in Matthew. Chapter 10, he says this. Chapter 10, verse 38. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Some have said this is the upside-down kingdom. Where what you think is the pinnacle of success and achievement, the goal, the outcome, is actually not. What seems risky, dangerous, costly, can be the best decision and direction, even though it may not look like it. Through death, one finds life. Okay, Keep your marker, if you're in your Bibles, keep your marker in chapter 16. We're going to jump to Colossians. Because the Apostle Paul, he understands this teaching and he helps flesh out, what does this really mean for you and me? What does it mean to set our minds on the things of God and to not set our minds on the things of men? What does it mean to have this mind of Christ? What does it mean to obey this? What does it mean to apply this? In Colossians chapter 3, look at chapter 3, verse 1. We'll look at a few verses here. He's writing to the church in Colossae, and they're struggling to try to figure out what does it mean to have a, a godly perspective, a heavenly perspective to this mindset. And so he's going to show the two different perspectives. First, one and two, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. So you have this above and earth kind of dichotomy. Okay, I want, do you want to follow the Lord in this? Do you want to have your mind thinking about heavenly things and not earthly things? Well, what does that look like? Really, what does that look like? Well, verse 5, Paul starts contrasting and giving us a picture of what earthly thinking is, earthly living is. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, Passion, and this isn't passion like, you know what, I'm just so excited about my, my sports team winning. This is passion like an evil passion. Evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, what's that? Beyond idolatry, it's I want what you have. I am jealous. I am not content. On account of these, the wrath of God, the anger of God is coming. If these in these you too once walked when you were living in them. So as non-followers of Jesus, we walk that way. This is how we live. This is our operating system. But now you must put them all away because we're going to be tempted to live the way we used to live, to go the way we used to go. But now you must put them all away. And then he expands this list because this is an exhaustive anger. Put away anger. Put away wrath and malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. You know, this can be really easy in our workplaces. It can be really fun. It can be just kind of like a game or, or silly. Put away obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Let's be honest people. These are all earthly things. I was thinking of, this is of the house of Slytherin for Harry Potter fans or the dark side for Star Wars fans. 
Let's not be like that. That being case, thinking this way could include other things. So maybe you're like, I don't really struggle with lying. Like, that's not my thing. How about selfishness? Ugh. Pride. Oh, worry. Oh, gluttony. Oh, lust. Complaining. What is our focus during the week? Is our focus on stuff here and now and me, or is it on God and his way? Last week, Mike Bowden, one of our elders, said, what kingdom are you building? Are you building your own little kingdom, your own fiefdom, or are you building God's kingdom? Are you part of God's kingdom? What does it look like to seek the things above and have a Godward perspective? Well, Paul's going to flesh that out. So look at verse 12 and following. This is so, imagine a community that's like characterized by these core values. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. And, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which your deed were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wow, wouldn't it be great to have that be our, our core values and that be how we live? Paul had missed it. He was off on his mission and his vision. And that's easy to do. I just, when you think about practically, what does this really look like? Like, what are the practical applications? That can be hard. So here's a spoof article uh, that I got from a source. I won't say where. Out of Indianapolis, Indiana, Dateline, September 4th, 2022. Local sub woman Sabrina McKenzie asked her husband to please go get an, on an epic quest of mythological proportions since he was already up anyways to go to the bathroom. Babe, since you're up already, began Miss McKenzie as her husband froze in fear. Can you grab me a glass of water? Oh, and while you're at it, follow this ancient map across the leagues of Fire Mountain. Climb the treacherous peak and retrieve a feather from the hawk of destiny on which the old legends speak. Mr. McKenzie begrudgingly took the ancient map, well aware of the rules surrounding out-of-bed errands. Quote, I learned early on in marriage that if, you're, if the husband gets out of bed, no request is off limits. I brought, myself, I brought this on myself, end quote, said Mr. McKenzie as he packed rations for the journey. Uh, it, it start always, he quotes, it always starts with asking for a glass of water. Then the next thing you know, it's, honey, can you build an extension on the garage since you're up already? <laughs> Better get to it. Sources say Mr. McKenzie did, in fact, return several months later with a feather from the Hawk of Destiny. But Mrs. McKenzie quickly informed him that he was supposed to get one from the other fire mountain. <laughs> this is funny, but it, it, it's relevant. God challenges us to join him on a mission of dying to self and living for others. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ, what? Love the church and did what? He gave himself up for her. There's a, a challenge of sacrifice. And so when you're, when you're up late at night or, and you're going to bed and you're planning a direction for things to go one way and then it goes sideways, we have internally this opportunity. When it's hard, it's actually more like Christ, I think. We have this opportunity to, to demonstrate the love of Christ, the self-sacrificial love of Christ. Uh, this week, my, what, I was doing a project. I was working on work, maybe even a sermon. And one of my kids comes in and interrupts me with something. And I have to wrestle with, this is not what I want to be doing, is dealing with this issue. I don't want to respond to this. And how do I do that in a gracious way? How do I be self-sacrificial and loving? This isn't just for husbands. This is for all of our relationships. We can demonstrate the love of Christ through sacrifice, through saying no to myself. And then when, it's, when I'm struggling and it comes out sideways in bad ways, it gives us a, a reminder of this is the very reason why Jesus died for my sin, because that, that sinful attitude isn't okay. It's it's an opportunity to remember that Jesus loves me based on what he's done, not what I've done, and that I can, I'm forgiven and I'm loved. And, and it reminds me of an opportunity. Here's another opportunity to share Jesus with my, my kids or my neighbors or my coworkers or boss or customer or who knows, your extended relatives. None of us have arrived. We're all works in progress God's not finished. He's slowly changing us more and more into little ambassadors of Christ so that the world can see who he is and what he's done and how great he is. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2. You don't need to go there. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, Look not only to your, his own interests, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, he, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." God calls us to remember Jesus died. He died not because we're perfect. We are sinners who continue to sin, yet he loves us. He died to forgive us and equip us and slowly transform us to be better and better mirrors of who he is. Matthew and Paul don't want us to fixate on ourselves, but on him. They don't want us to have the, the best life now, like the focus on this life, but the one to come, the focus on God. Are you, where's your focus? Is your mindset more like Jesus, who emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, or is your focus more like Peter? Hey, this doesn't look really good for you. Maybe you want to reconsider going to Jerusalem. God gives us help in Colossians and elsewhere in scripture. But in the Colossians passage we read, he says, forgive as Christ forgave us. John, one of his followers, said, we love because he first loved us. We can show mercy to others because we've been shown mercy. When we 
contemplate and understand the love of Christ for us personally, the real love of Christ personally, it can be that rocket fuel that helps propel us to say yes when inside we're saying, no, I don't want to do that. Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. God gives us help, further help in verse 26 of chapter 16. So go back to first. 26. He's got three different things. He answered, asked three different, two different questions in one statement that helps, again, so sometimes cognitively we go through different things that help us. They're like footholds in a, rock, in a rock climb that helps us get to where we need to go, our destination. And so he, he says this, for what will it profit a man, as you're considering sacrificing for someone else, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or here's another one. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come. And or here's the third statement. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and then he will repay each one according to what he's done. So the first one, what is it profit? The answer, there is no profit. Suppose you gain the whole world, but forfeit your soul. Is it worth it? Jim Elliot in 1956, on January 8th, he died sharing his faith. He's one of those martyrs. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You're not a fool to give up something of little value to gain something of wonderful, you know, great value, terrific value. You're smart. It makes sense. So let's play this out. Imagine the devil says, hey, you can have Amazon or Walmart or the Powerball ticket that's worth $1.72 billion that just got sold, would you take him up on the deal? You would be a fool to do so. Do not bargain with the devil. Robert Johnson or Faust or whoever says, hey, I'm going to make this deal, it's not worth it. Satan is a liar and the souls will live and die forever. You don't want to profit, the, you don't profit from gaining the whole world. You lose. Well, the second question Jesus said, or what shall man give in return for his soul? So what can I give in return for my soul? Psalm 49 answers this. Nothing, at least in part. Truly no man can ransom another, it says, or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. You can't give up your life and save another soul, nor your own. I say that because I think we have to look at broader, it's a little confusing how he phrases this, but if we look at Romans, Romans says this, the wage of sin is death. We all are sinners. We've all strayed from perfection and holiness, God's ways, and the, the, the just requirement is our soul. But the verse goes on. The wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We <clears throat> give up our lives. Why? It's not so that we can earn salvation, but it's because he gave up his life. Jesus wants us to recognize souls are valuable, and the only price that can pay for our soul is the one he gave, which is his own. We have everlasting life by grace, through faith in Christ. 
Then he gets to this last reason, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come. Jesus is coming back. We believe he is coming back. He is coming back, and he's one day, we are one day closer to his return than we were yesterday. And so he, it is soon. It may not be in our lifetimes. People have thought that, you know, oh, it's going to be 1948. It's going to be, oh, no, no, it's going to be 18, 1988. It's going to be 2000. I mean, people have all these predictions. We don't know what time it is coming back. It may not be in our lifetime, but he's coming back. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each one according to what he's done. That, that's good news, and that's hard news. God is just, and we live in an evil world. There is evil. Just scroll through your headlines, and you see evil. And there is justice. So you think about the atrocities that happen to young children that shouldn't ever happen. God will bring justice, swift and fair, and that's going to be good. However, when he comes and he repays, there's another part where I want lenience, I want mercy, I want grace, and I can have it, and you can have it when we turn from our sin and trust in Christ's work on the cross on our behalf. He rewards righteousness and justice done in secret. Yes, he will repay that. And he will repay those who, who never repent and never believe with punishment and others with eternity. Ultimately, Ultimately, his mercy and compassion are given to us through Jesus. And this is good news. For you, it might be scary if you've not repented and trusted in Christ, but you can today. You can, you can turn in your heart and say, I don't want to be following myself. I don't want to be thinking like Peter did here. I want to be thinking about you, Lord. I want to trust in you, Lord. I struggle. Help me. You can trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior and join us believers and he will repay you based on what Jesus has done. In conclusion, let's take a quick look at verse 28. Some of his disciples, he says, are, are, are not going to experience taste death when he comes into his kingdom. And I think we see the already but not yet reality. He's literally talking about these guys. So the, the interpretation of this verse is a little sticky. And I don't want us to get so hung up on what does this verse mean that we forget the big picture that through death one finds life. Even the pastors, we kind of were disagreeing about how this is interpreted. In my mind, this is focused on the transfiguration. Some of those disciples are going to see Jesus in all his glory and splendor. And he says, don't talk about this until the resurrection or, until, uh, or ascension. He's coming back. He came to save us from our sin and reward those who follow him. Time is running out, and he wants us to turn our minds, and that's why I appreciate you guys being here, because I, and I need to be here. We're, we're together singing, praying, listening, and trying to reorient our minds so it's not just the world speaking into our lives or our flesh speaking into our lives, but we're, we're listening to what does the Lord want for us as we try to follow him together. We're not alone. We can do this together. And we can take up our cross and follow Jesus. Let me illustrate this in one last way. We, 
how we find life through death. Uh, Lou, you want to come up here? Do you want to sit down? Or should we stand and do this? Okay. Um, so I'm going to have Lou come up here. In 2017, uh, Lou was, uh, here you go. Uh, 2017, Lou was the president of Haitian Support Ministries. And I went to Haiti with him. He'd been going back and forth um, for some time. And he took a team with us. I'm, I'm going to see if we have anybody who was with us at that time. Mark Veneclausen, who's the sound up there, was with us. Ann Stewart, is Ann here? Randy Gourley. I saw Randy Gourley today. Um, he's out there. Okay, so we had that. We had a number from Sawyer as well. Uh, Kevin has been there. I don't, I don't know if he was on the team at the time. The, Elaine Priest. Um, so and Fred came at one point. So Haiti, just to give you some kind of picture of what Haiti's like, it's in the Caribbean. It's a third of the size of Michigan, but a little larger in population. They have 11 million people. More than half, I read this, more than half the population lives on less than $1 a day. The voodoo religion and corruption have plagued the country in horrible, horrible ways. In January 2020, so Lou and I, we planted, Lou planted a trip. Oh, Bob Heiser, you guys remember Bob Heiser? He was huge in this. It was awesome to have him help us out. Uh, January 2020, we were going on a trip. And then the state department said, you cannot travel do not travel to Haiti. So we had to cancel our trip. And maybe, uh, maybe some of you were planning on going with us. Uh, then uh, Lou sends me updates all the time about Haiti, what's going on. On July 7th, 2021, armed men entered the Haitian president's home and assassinated him. That's January 7th, 2021. Who's the new president? There isn't one. Gangs rule that nation. And then in January 27th of this year, Lou sent me this, the State Department ordered non-emergency embassy staff to evacuate. And then two weeks ago, Lou got this text, and I, we got this text, so I'm going to read it, and then have you just kind of explain what's going on. Hi, Papa Lou, how are you? I hope you're well. It's been very hard for the people of Haiti lately due to gun violence. Three days ago, the gangs came at, shoot at us in the hospital. Thank God I made it safely to another part of the country. I cannot even go to Port-au-Prince to catch my flight on Monday. Ronald's working on it to see if there's anything he can do for me to come. Haiti's unlivable now. Unbelievable. Oh, that makes me very sad and depressed. So, Lou, I actually didn't even know who this was because didn't, I didn't have that person's contact. Will you just tell us a little bit about the story? And we do have some pictures, too, so maybe cue him up as he tells the story. We had, um... Maybe not that one. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, we, we had gone there many years, and <clears throat> one of the young ladies who had served us in uh, women's ministry, taught Sunday school, sang in the choir in the church down there, and as our interpreter, um, just, she seemed a little different. And I asked her what she wanted to do, and her story, and her father had died when she was four. She was the oldest of four children, I saw where she lived. I wouldn't store my lawnmower in there. There was no water, no electricity, no toilet. It was a little room about 12 by 12. Uh, with, she lived with her aunt and her three younger siblings. And she wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> and uh, so um, 
Today, she's got six years in in medical school in Port-au-Prince and uh, eight months left to go. And she called me about a, um, a month ago and said she was going to get married. And her boyfriend from Jack Mal, who had finished Bible college and uh, got his master's degree in divinity in Pennsylvania, <clears throat> had figured out a visa for her to come to the U.S. and she would, wanted to be married. And so she was coming up here. But then I got another text from her saying that uh, the little hospital she was working in just north of Port-au-Prince, the gangs had broken in there and looking to shoot caregivers. She hid under a bed for five hours and they left and she escaped further into the country. In any case, she ultimately, through a different airport, was able to get <clears throat> to the U.S., and I had the privilege of uh, being with her. She got married uh, uh, a week ago, so it was very, very neat. Uh, she called, speaking of prayer, Rob, she called, she and Ronald called yesterday and said, I just don't, we don't know what to do. I've got six years in, in medical school. I want to go back and care for the people of Haiti, but I'm afraid. I have only eight more months to go, and I'm a physician. Uh, but do I stay here with Ronald? Because we're afraid to go back, and uh, we don't know what to do. And I said, you know, uh, Jermaine, um, I'll share this story with our church, and you'll have an extra 100 people praying for you and Ronald uh, to make a good decision here. Uh, so we'll share that on Sunday. So. Yeah, well, we're going to Please pray. pray for Jermaine. So the reason I, I bring this up is, you know, so Lou's going to maybe hate part of this, but, uh, you know, part of this, so Lou's retired. So what does he do with his retirement? He's like, I, you know, I'm sure he's like, I don't do anything, but he, he cares, and so he's using his time and his energy and his resources to do a little bit of good to some part of the world that really is it's too big for us to fix. What can we do? We can pray. And then this young lady, he's telling me the story. We're over at Rio's, like, I'm crying, I'm getting teary, you know, hearing this. She wants to care for Haiti. She wants to do good. She wants to help. And this Ron guy, Ronald guy who's gone to Bible school, he wants to go back. You know, but they do have this, this debate. What, is it, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And maybe it means going back, maybe it doesn't. You know, we make all these, we all, all different choices to make. I, I, I share that because, uh, you know, Lou, you sacrifice to do good. And I know Carol sacrifices so that you can sacrifice. You know, it, you're a team. And I know there's other of you who have given up so that Christ may be seen in glorious ways. And it's so beautiful when, when we see that. And sometimes it's totally unseen, but God sees it and rewards you, and loves you. And some of you are being invited to make those sacrifices. Sometimes we can have these problems that just seem like they're so insurmountable, they're so monumental, that it's like, I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't really like this situation. I'm in prison in, in my own head, or I'm in prison in my situation, in my work. Or It's like, what, what hope do I have? You have God, and he invites us on a journey. We have each other, too. That's what a church is about. A church isn't a building. A this is a great facility. I love this facility. But it's about the people. We have each other. And he invites us. Through death, we find life. Let's pray as the worship team comes up here.
God, we lift up Jermaine and Ronald. We just ask for wisdom. You, you say that if anyone lacks wisdom, he should pray. And so we join them in praying, asking for wisdom. I don't think any of us want to move towards a situation where life uh, feels threatened. Uh, and, and certainly we don't want to tell other people what to do. Um, we know you know what's best. You know the way. You've gotten her out of this situation and you've made her for a purpose. You made him for a purpose. Use them for your glory that Christ may be seen whether at home or abroad. Thank you for Lou and his sacrifices, which I'm, I'm sure he's like, I didn't sacrifice. Bless his family. I, th- I thank you for this church and for those unseen servants here who have given up for your great glory. I just ask you for help when it's late at night and we're asked to do something we don't want to do. Lord, help us have better attitudes. Help us see that you get displayed when we say yes to you. May you get glory and praise and honor and thanks with the little efforts, the loaves and fishes that we have to offer. Thank you for this body of believers. Band us together as brothers and sisters in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.